Welcome to the weekly podcast from Faith Community Church in Janesville, Wisconsin. For more information about Faith Community, please visit our website at www.faithcommunitychurch.net or check us out on Facebook by searching Faith Community Church Janesville. You can also reach us by email at podcast at faithjanesville.org. You can be a part of this ministry and help advance the kingdom by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a five-star review. This helps us spread the word of God in the podcast world, allowing us to better reach more people in the name of Christ. Uh, good morning to you. Welcome online as well, on radio, however you're listening today. We welcome you into our service here at Faith Community. Uh, we are cutting everything a little bit short today. We've got announcements are short. Music is shorter than normal. The message will be shorter than normal because we are going to be talking a little bit about phase five at the end of our service. So we invite you online to stay for that as well to learn what we're going to be doing in a future phase of construction here, hopefully in just a couple of years. The bookmark for this morning as we go through the gospel project, the life and ministry of Jesus in chronological order is one none of us can relate to, right? Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Uh, I'm going to ask if this is you, if you look to the side screens, is this ever you? There's some days when that's you, right? Well, you know, the days you feel like that, you are consumed with worry. And when we talk about being consumed with it, it means like it's all you think about. You lose sleep from it. You may have anxiety attack or something from it. And it, it just kind of consumes your thoughts, your time, your resources, your energies. And so we're going to talk about worry and anxiety. We're going to talk about a good kind of worry and a bad kind of worry. And how Jesus says we should approach worry when it arises. Not if it arises, but when it arises. And it doesn't take much for it to arise, right? All you got to do is look at the news. If you're one of the few that still read a newspaper or maybe you turn on the television or a magazine, you look at the news and you find out the world isn't fixed, is it? We've got all kinds of unrest. We've got political unrest, social unrest. We've got inflation. We've got maybe Russia invading the Ukraine. And what are we going to do about that? And we've got, you know, COVID still around. And you know, it doesn't take much to start feeling that anxiety build up. And then you've got your personal life. Maybe things are tense at work. Maybe you could get transferred. Maybe you could lose your job because they're going to cut back. You, maybe you've got problems in your marriage, problems in your family. Your children have problems in their marriage. You know, your, your children's problems are your problems. Or maybe you've got a health concern and you've gone to the doctor and you don't know what's wrong with you. What is that? It's growing, or what is that? I don't feel good. What is it? What could it be? And you run tests, and you become consumed with that worry. And you know, worry takes its toll, doesn't it? There are consequences to worry. We're not going to even try to read this list that we got here, but man, all those things are true. There are emotional consequences, there are physical, physiological consequences from worry, right? give you an ulcer, give you all kinds of problems. There are mental health issues with worry. 
there are behavioral problems that stem from worry. Worry impacts you in every facet of your being. But we also want to define the kind of worry we're talking about here. We want to talk about worry that deals with a real eminent threat or danger or a worry that deals with a potential threat or danger. The difference between these two is one deals with what is and what deals the other one deals with what if. You ever played the what if game? What if this happens, and then, and then if that happens, and this is going to happen, and, and, and what if then this person does that, and then what if they say this? And next thing you know, you've worked yourself into a little bit of a frenzy, haven't you? We've all played the what if game. We've all dealt on what if they do this, what if they do that. I was doing some, some counseling this week, and a couple was having a hard time. And he starts playing the what if game on me, because the wife wasn't happy with the husband, and he says, what if she's having an affair? And if she's having an affair, then this, then that. And I go, what evidence do you have that she's having an affair? He says, well, none, but what if she is? Then we'll deal with that if that happens. But right now, we don't have any evidence that that's happened. So there's enough right here to deal with. Let's not deal with the what ifs. There is a worry if something's eminent, right? If you're going skiing, maybe you're a ski person. I was talking with a new member about a friend of mine named Keith who loves to ski. If Keith's on a, on a mountain skiing and there's a there, there's possibility for an avalanche, he'd be smart not to go skiing on that mountain that day, right? Or maybe you're in Florida on a big vacation and they say, hey, there's a shark in the water. We've seen a shark. You should be worried about that. It'd be smart of you to not go swimming in the ocean when there might be a shark present, right? It's like somebody's following you, stalking you whatever, and they're creepy, and they're weird, and they're scary, and you're right to be concerned about that. You're right to have your phone ready. You're right to maybe drive to the police department. Hey, somebody's following me. Somebody, that's, a, that's a legitimate concern, right? But the what-ifs aren't like that. The what-ifs are dealing with potentials that, listen to me, usually don't end up happening. They usually don't. And you spent your whole time fretting and being preoccupied by something that never actually ever happens. That kind of worry is destructive. And that's the kind of worry that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. So let's turn there and read those passages this morning. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? They worried about the same kinds of things then as we do now. Look at the birds. Remember, they're outside. So Jesus probably has them just look at the birds for a while and study the birds. They do not sow or reap or store in the barns. They don't look worried, do they? They don't look, they don't look stressed out, do they? And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And can you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field grow, and they do not labor or spin? And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow sown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? 
For the pagans run after these things. Those who don't know God run after these things. They're consumed by the material things. But your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Seeking first the kingdom should be your priority. Not the stuff of life, right? Not the material things. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So, Jesus takes us to this intersection of faith and reason, right? This exchange, this crossroads where he deals with worry in two ways. He deals with the practical side of it. He deals with the reason side of it. And then he deals with the faith side of the equation that those who follow him live in. And first, as we talk about the reason side, he addresses that primarily in verses 27 and verse 34 of this chapter. He says, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? In other words, is this productive? Is this beneficial? The worrying about the what ifs, the might be, could be, is that beneficial to you? Does that add to your life in some way? The truth of the matter, at the 8.30 service, one guy shouts and said, no, it takes it away. It might not add an hour, but it might take away some hours, right? And so Jesus asks us this, this logical question to entertain. Does it help? Does it add to your life? Think about that. How, is it productive? Is it worthwhile? If it's not productive, it doesn't add to your worth, worthwhile, then, and it's harmful, then why engage in that? Verse 34 says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What Jesus is encouraging you and I here to do is live in the present. Live in the present. Deal with today, today. You'll deal with tomorrow, tomorrow. I guarantee you tomorrow the world will not be perfect. Your job will not be perfect. Your church, sadly, won't be perfect. Your spouse won't be perfect. You won't be perfect. But God is. So he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about the problems that you're facing today. Today. Tomorrow, there's a really good chance there'll be more problems waiting for you. But you know what we're going to deal with tomorrow's problems? Tomorrow. Let's deal with tomorrow's problems. And next week's problem, next week. So Jesus deals and appeals to our reason here. And he tries to get you to understand, look, you're spinning your wheels. If you're, if you're being consumed by worrying about the what ifs, it's not productive. You're not being present in the here and now. What might happen in the future is taking away from what is here. It's robbing you from the here and now. Makes sense, right? And then he talks about a second element, which not everybody has. And that is the element of faith. And that is the nature of God, uh, the nature of his character and of his attributes. And I'm gonna, before we read the next passage, I want to let you know what's going on. Because what Jesus is sharing with them in Matthew 10, and you can look it up for yourself when you get home, is unsettling. He is telling them of the consequences of being his followers. He's saying that if you name my name, 
and you follow me, persecution is going to come your way. Very powerful people with very much authority are going to come against you. And you're going to have hardship. Now, if you were to give that news to somebody, that could cause anxiety, right? Hypothetically speaking, if I said, hey, just so you know, the community hates our church, and I'm just, they love our church, but I'm just using this hypothetical. If you, you know, if they know you're going to faith community, you're going to get in trouble. You know, people in power are going to come looking for you. You'll have a target on your back. That would cause anxiety to rise up, rise up in you if I said something like that. So Jesus is telling them, you're going to have a target on your back being a follower of mine. But before anxiety and worry can even manifest, Jesus deals with it. He nips it in the bud as the expression goes. And he starts talking to them about the worry and anxiety that might come as a result of the words that he is now speaking to them about their future. And so that is the context in which Jesus says these very famous words. Verse 29 of Matthew 10. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. This speaks to a God that is involved in his creation. A deist might say, God created the world like a clockmaker makes a clock and it just sets it off, right? And it runs on its own. He doesn't care. The deist thinks God made the world, but he's really not involved and he really doesn't care. He's off making new worlds, right? He's off doing, making new universes. But Jesus painted a picture of God that's very different from that. God, out of all the, 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 the billions of, of animals, right, and birds and, and, and beasts and all that, he says he's aware of a bird that falls to the ground. And this, this one, verse 30, he says, and even the very hairs on your head are numbered. I feel a certain amount of, of pleasure in knowing that I'm helping make God's job easier every year. <laughs> I'm giving him less and less hair to count. You know, and I've always tried to be optimistic. I'm an optimistic person. And I just say, you know, I'm not losing hair. I'm gaining face. So just kind of a positive way. Encourage some of you who might be balding to, to think about that. But, you know, he says, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And so when I read that, it's so astonishing. I ask myself the question, is this a literary device? Because I know what a literary device is. I know what a hyperbole is. He's certainly not using rabbinic hyperbole here. I know what a simile is. He's not using that here. We all know what a metaphor is. He's not making a metaphor here. You think of every kind of, of literary device, and you can run through personification. You can run through all of them, and none of them apply. Jesus is speaking in a literal way. Eight billion heads of hair. Eight billion people on this planet. And he knows how many hairs are on that. You know what? Try to wrap your mind around that, but you can't. You can't. Any more than that bug in the floor can wrap its mind about how much you know about the world and about rea- and life. That bug can't do that. I don't know how a bug's mind thinks, but it, it can't handle that, right? God's, we are, he said, my ways are measurably above yours, as high as the heavens are above the earth. It's been said, if we, if we do not see God as immeasurably greater than ourselves, we cannot know God. And Jesus is trying to say, look, 
you know, you're worrying and fretting about tomorrow and what you're going to do and what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat and all that stuff, and you're concerned about it. He said, but I want you to be present, and I want you to know two very important truths, that God is omniscient and that God is omnipresent and that God is loving. Because if God is omniscient and omnipresent, but he's not loving, that's good. That's not good, right, brother? That's bad. If God is not good, if God is not loving, the fact that he's all-powerful is bad news. And if God is loving, right, he cares about people, but he's not omnipresent, he's not omniscient, he's not, he's not all-knowing, he's not all-powerful, there's not much he can do about it, right? But the good news is his character and his attributes, that God does care about you that you are valuable to him and he does see all things and he does know all things and he is everywhere. And so Jesus invites them to do something very important in this present and that is to rest. Rest is really kind of an opposite of worry, isn't it? You know, when you, when you get some bad news coming your way, right? I mean, you're worried and stressed out what the doctor's gonna say and the doctor comes out with his report and your heart's pounding, right? And he says, you don't have whatever it is. Tests are negative, you're okay. And you go, right? That's kind of a rest, right? That's like everything's okay. Jesus is inviting his followers to enter rest, to trust God to the level where you understand who he is and what he can do so that you're not consumed by fear and anxiety and worry. Because your lives can be productive, that you can live in the present, that you can have peace of mind, which is priceless. A few years back, I was, had the honor of being asked by the Speaker of the House to come and be the chaplain for a day in Washington, D.C. And some of you remember that, and you were praying for me as I opened our, our government up in prayer. But there was different ceremonies that took place that day, and one of them was the chaplain came out, the real chaplain, and got to meet us. And I want you to, as you look, oh, by the way, before I tell you this story, you see the black, black clothes? Uh, after we were, after, you know, hours later when the day was done, and they said, uh, we'll come and get you. Just go and stand by this statue, and we'll come and get you when you're done. Just call us and let us know. And we're standing by this statue, I guess, looking you know, official, because we got black colors on. And there must be a meeting in the room next door, because people are coming up to me and going, like that. <laughs> so I just went along with it. I went, go ahead. <laughs> and I had like three people go up, and Brenda's like, what are you doing? I'm like, he looked good to me, you know, fine. So anyway, but, but if we look at that picture one more time, notice Brenda does not have a purse, okay? It's not in her right hand or her left hand is a cell phone. There's nothing around her shoulder. She's got a purse. Usually women have the, their purse with them on a, on a trip kind of thing. And uh, he's kind of making fun. He's, probably, he's a real friendly guy. He's kind of making us laugh about something. I don't know what he was saying, but I'll tell you the story about the absent purse. So we're waiting in the speaker's office for them to say, okay, it's time to go into the chamber now. And he comes in, it's time to go to the chamber. And we walk out, and she stops, and she says, oh, is my purse okay? 
I left my purse on the chair. Is it okay? And the lady looks at her like, yeah? She says, well, I do have $10 in there. (laughs) And ladies, you know, it conveyed to us kind of this message. You know, this is the office and the waiting area of the third most powerful man in America, the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Your purse is okay. (laughs) There are people that you cannot see, very powerful, very capable of protecting your purse. And so while you're in the Capitol, enjoy yourself. Don't worry about your purse, because when you come back, your purse will be here, and so will your $10. (laughs) Everything's okay. Rest in that, right? So when she goes into the chamber, right, I'm down here, you know, doing my thing. She's up in the chamber watching everything. She's not worried about her purse. She received the good news. She received the, the message, and she believed the message that I don't see them, but there are cameras there, and there are very important people watching those cameras who are able to protect what belongs to you. Don't worry about your $10. Live in the present, right? And that's what she did. Jesus says, listen, you don't physically see God, but God's aware of you. And I don't mean this in a scary way. I mean it in a good way. He's watching you. He knows about you. He knows about your life. He knows about your situations. He cares about you. And Jesus says, live in the present. Rest in the now. Rest in the knowledge of who God is, his nature, and his attributes. And enter his presence. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we're thankful for our Savior's words today, which are so true and so applicable, just as applicable to us today as they were 2,000 years ago when they were spoken. Now, you have not changed. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're a healer. You're a deliverer. You're a shepherd. You're a provider. You're a guide. You're a comforter. You're a Savior. And you are with us in this life. You are aware of what we're going through. The stresses of this world and the stresses of everyday life, Lord, you are aware. Our Lord walked this earth in this flesh. And he dealt with those same kinds of experiences. He dealt with even more than that with the anticipation of betrayal and the cross and death. And yet, there was within Jesus a calmness and a rest because there was a reckless abandonment of trust to the Father. And you've called us to enter into that same rest, that same trust, to live in the present, to deal with the what is, not the what ifs, And Lord, I pray for the one right now who feels bound by worry, who feels consumed about things that may or may not happen, that is detracting from today, that is zapping strength and energy and causing them to live in fear and anxiety. 
Lord, I pray for their deliverance, for their peace, that they would receive this good news that you're sharing with your followers. They would know that it's okay. God has my back. God's with me. God will sustain me. God will deliver me. And ultimately, all of us one day will cross that threshold and enter into your presence for all eternity. And only then, in, in, in that realm, will we begin to understand the greatness of who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to talk a little bit about phase five in our remaining time. We are doing a relaunch of phase five. We started this in January 2020. We were going bang gangbusters in December, January, February, March. I showed you the chart, April, COVID, almost flatlined. And I've not felt comfortable the last two years talking about it. But I feel like now we need to talk about it again. And if you're not able to participate, it's okay. Join us when you can, all right? I want to tell you about my childhood and, and some of the things that happened to me. And I want to talk to you about some arrows out ministry in our church. What I mean by that is things we do that are not just for ourselves, but are for our community, our region, okay? I'm going to ask Amy if she'll come up here right now. Amy Ingalls is our operations director, and so she's in charge of building and grounds. So um, what happens inside our building, our remodel, uh, and any new construction, our stage, anything like that. And Amy knows the plans better than anybody, including myself. And so Amy's going to now take us through the floor plan, what changes we're making the existing structure, and what are the plans for the new building. So Amy, go ahead. Hello. Okay, so to give you an idea of where we're at, so right now this is like the missions hallway and where the current check-in for the kids area is and the little blue curtain thing here. So that's down there. Yep, so this goes away. There's a safety wall that's built here. Right here is where currently there is the doors that you enter into the building to go into the office. That goes away, so this gets all open. This is now the new kids' children's check-in. This is able to be locked, so this is secured during the services. So if you come down here, this room here is an adult classroom. This holds about 25 to 30 people. This room here is a pastoral office counseling room. And then you come into here and there's a little foyer area. Down here is a chapel, which is just a larger meeting room that we can use for overflow, for ministries and stuff like that, the lighthouse. Two bathrooms, this is a commercial kitchen that goes into this room that you can access to that. A storage area, which is very needed, with a pantry. This is new offices, so you got Laura and Judy and then a file room. And because the offices are moved to here, from here, so this is where Judy and Laura's office currently is. Now this area can be used solely for kids' ministry. So Tina's office can come over here, a storage area can go over there for her. You got your nursery, your twos room. Now this can completely be opened up and be a multi-purpose room. This is just a divider wall that retracts back and out so it can be divided into two big rooms or one very big room. And um, you got your doors that can lock that down. So this all gets locked. 
lock, lock. So that's full children's. When it's not children's ministry and it's just ministries during the week, this can all be locked out. And so when this is being used, this is secure on this side of the building. Thanks, Amy. Appreciate that. <clears throat> so uh, I want to talk about one aspect of the building that we've not talked a lot about. We've talked about the chapel and some of the other things, but let's talk about the kitchen. And why I say that's an arrows out. We don't need a commercial kitchen. Like we could survive just by building another kitchen. Like a commercial kitchen means you've got a trap. You can have grease and you can cook bacon and beef and all that other stuff, steak. Uh, why do we need a commercial kitchen? Because they're much more expensive. It's an arrows out ministry. Uh, we have in our city, and I'm fl- I realize I. I'm, uh, well, let's, let's go through the scripture first of all. I want to talk about, I want to make a connection between ministering to the poor, and in this case, food, and that being a part of the gospel message. Paul is talking in Galatians chapter 2, and he's talking about how James and Peter and John welcomed into fellowship, recognized that he truly was an apostle, and that they agreed he should go to the Gentiles and they would go to the Jews. And he says in verse 10, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I've been eager to do all along. In other words, when he says continue to remember the poor, it means Paul had been remembering the poor on his missionary journeys. Remembering the poor. What does remember the poor mean? Oh, yeah, I remember them. Yeah, yeah. Those those people that they don't have as much as, yeah, I remember them. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I remember them. That's not what it means. It means doing something about their poverty, okay? That's what it means to remember them, do something about it. So James and John and Peter see that as an essential part of bringing out the gospel. In Acts chapter 6, there's trouble in paradise. Remember Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, everybody loves each other, everybody sells what they have, and, you know, and they all live together happily ever after until Acts chapter 5 and Acts chapter 6. And we find out they're just people like you and I. They're not perfect. And prejudice rears its ugly head. And the Hellenistic or the Greek Jews who were converted to Christianity, their widows are not getting food. They're being overlooked. And the Jewish uh, widows are, and their children are getting the food. And so they talked to the 12 about it. And they said, well, you know, we've got to worry, focus on the word and prayer, not on feeding people, but we think feeding is important, so they chose seven men. To, they were the deacons, right? And they began to take care of this responsibility so the apostles could devote themselves to the Word. And what I really want to delve in here is not the division that was there, not the cultural problem, but I want to deal with the fact that in Acts chapter 6, the church saw the distribution of food as essential to what they were doing. It was part of the God, it was part and parcel of the message of the gospel. In James chapter 2, James is talking about faith without works being dead. And he gives a hypothetical and he says, Suppose a brother or sister is without daily clothes or food, daily food. And one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? If they come in hungry and you just say a bunch of hocus-pocus, spiritually garbledy gook, 
that does nothing to feed them. They're walking away hungry. And he said, so that's useless. Faith without works is dead. In our city, 14% of Rock County live in poverty. They don't have enough to make ends meet. 36%, including the 14%, are what we call the working poor. In other words, they're working hard, one job, two jobs, and still don't have enough money to make ends meet. And many times, they deal with hunger. And so, is this a problem that's going away? No. Is the world getting any better or safer to live in? No. And here we are, right? We're the largest church in our city, Protestant church. We've got a responsibility. We've got to do something. About, and, and we have, now, we have the faith in action, which is great, and we're involved in our city supporting nonprofits all year round, year after year, but I'm talking about getting us on the front lines. Right now in our city, Echo provides a meal once a month, which is, fan, which is great. We give thanks for that. That's wonderful. Salvation Army, you can come in and get a, a quick go-to, get a, you know, take-home lunch or something. That's great, too. But as far as a month, a weekly hot meal where you can come and, and sit down and relax and have a good, hot, home-cooked meal uh, on a weekly basis, that doesn't exist. So we would be stepping in to fill that need. That, that area that we use for our children's ministry opened up. That's what we're talking about. We, we have the commercial kitchen attached to that room, right? So it's right on the south end of the building. And we, use, we set up tables and chairs to do a community meal there every week. It's arrows out. It's, it's ministering. Well, how does that minister to the gospel? Let me, let me tell you something about myself. Uh, in case you don't know, I was born in Rockford, Illinois. And I was born on what they call the wrong side of the tracks. I was born on 7th Street, Immigrant's Way. My father was a Swedish immigrant, worked in a factory and didn't make much money. He died when I was five years old of cancer, and my mother received his $300 a month Social Security check to support myself and my sister and her. And then she washed clothes and babysat other people's kids, and that's how she made ends meet. Needless to say, we struggled. Things like food and clothing uh, weren't something that we took for granted. There happened to be two churches right, about, right near our home. One was called the First Free Church, which was on 6th Street. In Rockford now, it's, it's a big church, right? It's the first place I ever had a job in the ministry. I was an intern there with Pastor Jim Rosine. Uh, but back then, they were a big church, but they were on 6th Street. And there was another church called Zion Lutheran, which was my church as a child, and they were arrows out as well. And they would do meals, and they would invite family, surrounding neighbors to come and receive a hot meal. Like it was the best meal I had all year. And then like if it was Christmas or Thanksgiving, we'd get a little basket to take home. Uh, the church there, uh, Zion had a thrift shop. We got our cheese and some other things, and we got clothing there because I was growing like a weed for a couple of years and enabled my mom to, to have clothes. And so those two churches impacted me with the gospel, and I began to learn 
hey, churches are love people. Churches care about people. Churches don't just tell you things spiritually, but they actually do something useful. And so I get to know some of those. I build relationships. Over the years, I build friendships, particularly with the first free church. And they start seeing gifts of leadership in me, and they start involving me more in the leadership of the church. And I eventually, and that's one way, I, was, I had another church we went to as well, but I eventually be, give my life to Christ. Okay? And part of that whole thing, part of the process of bringing me to faith was the tangible love expressed by two arrows out churches. I'll tell you another story. My wife it, it works at Beloit Health System. And she was working, and one of her coworkers were talking, you know, and, and just telling our story and, and was inviting her to church and telling her story. She said, uh, well, we used to be from Rockford, and our, my husband was a pastor at a church called Faith Center. She says, I remember Faith Center. What's your, what's your husband's name? Oh, I remember Pastor Jeff. Yeah, I remember him. Sure. She says, let me tell you something. She says, that church had a hot meal every Wednesday. And I was living in the trailer park <clears throat> across the street. And I was very poor. And I had my little girl. That was the only hot meal we had. I mean, we had ramen noodles or, or frozen pizza or something. But that was the only really good meal we had. We were barely getting by. And she says, I went to that church only because they had food. She says, you know, but something interesting happened. She says, I got to know some of the staff and the pastors like your husband. And so I came for the food, but I decided to come to the services too. And she says, I became a Christian in that church because you had hot meals and I could eat there. That's what I'm talking about. You know, this is an opportunity for us. That's one aspect of the building, to be arrows out. So this is, this is a $2.5 million project. If you throw in the gym, it's three point five, and we haven't given up on that. We've got land for that. If you get $2.5, that is amazing. If we got $2.5 million in two years, that is like one of the most successful building programs in the country. That's really, really hard to do. We could start throwing in everything if we wanted to, but let's put a number that's attainable yet big. 2.5 is that. At the end of our two years, we look at what we have. Do we have enough to build the gym? Great. Let's build it. Do we have to start making decisions as to what our, our priorities are and what we can build and what we have? In a cash only, that, that's what you do. So we'll have a meeting and we'll talk about those things. But right now, let's just see where we're at. Right? Let's just see where we're at. It's a cash only. And so whatever, we, if we end up with 1.5, what can we build with 1.5? If we end up with one or, or, or half a million, what can we build with a half a million? Right now, we've got about 280 in there. Okay? That probably does our site work. Doesn't build anything, but it gets your site work done. The courtyard goes over here, the fountain, the grass, and that parking goes on the 93. We lose 60 some stalls and we gain 90 some stalls over here at the north end. 
What can we build? What's our priority? We'll have those discussions. But let's not have them now. It's, it's pointless to have them now because we don't know what we can build. A couple years from now, we'll know what we have. We'll have those discussions. And then whatever we don't build, if maybe we build it all. But if there's something we don't build, then phase five becomes phase five, phase six, phase seven. That's okay. You know, this, this was supposed to be a part of phase three. Didn't happen. Didn't happen until years later it became phase four. We're here. The land's not going anywhere, right? And we don't want to bury ourselves in debt. So let's see what comes in. So I encourage you at home, uh, we've got the contact information for our church and Rick and Jen, if they would come up here at this time. So you would, if you're at home and you want to take one of these, if you want us to send you one of these, just email us at faith at janesville.org. Call the church, write the church. We'll pop one of these in the mail. It just tells you what we're going to do. And thank you to Judy Crabtree and her, and her team for assembling them and to Pastor Tim for his hard work and design. If you give to faith, uh, Phase 5 or would like to fill out a Phase 5 pledge card that helps you to make a commitment, helps us to gauge what might be coming in, anything you want to give or for Phase 5, uh, including the pledge card, in the back of the church, there's two white receptacles that have a poster of the building, and then there's a white box underneath it, one there and one there. That's where Phase 5 giving goes. Okay? If you give it in the black offering boxes, you're going to get me in trouble. So give it, put it in the white. All right? And I want to introduce you to Rick and Jen Lowry, who are members of our church, and they are going to be our, the face of, of Phase 5 uh, project. And so Rick and Jen, uh, welcome, and we want to hear your heart. Thank you, Pat. Hello, am I on? Hello, there we go. Thank you, Pastor Jeff, for the introduction. We are very excited to be asked to talk about why the vision of Phase 5 is so important to the growth of God's kingdom in Janesville and the surrounding areas. Good morning. Uh, we haven't attended this church for a super long time. We've been here for about three or four years. Um, and when we first came, we came because we were looking for a church that taught the truth of Scripture. And we stayed because that's what we found here at Faith Community. What's going on in this church is the proclamation of Jesus, which is the number one job Jesus gives to believers. That's already happening here, in part by supporting many missionaries, in part by contributing to the efforts of local organizations, and in part by the way we live and speak in our daily lives. And yet, until the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church work is never done, is it? Not until he comes back. So phase five. So a while back, um, I was reading something or I heard something, I don't remember which it was, uh, about a Christian couple out east. And they described their Christian life as being one of serving as local missionaries. And I thought that was such a cool way of thinking about serving Jesus on a local basis. Um, so with phase five, I think we have the opportunity before all of us to adopt that mindset and serve our community um, as local missionaries. 
So phase five is an essential step in working as local missionaries to proclaim the name of Jesus to as many people as possible, letting God use us according to his purpose, his will, his honor, and his glory. So Amy talked about several different facets of phase five, and there's a lot of different ways that, um, that we can reach each other through, this, uh, through the building. Uh, we can teach more, we can counsel more, we can share more. Um, so in other words, we'll be able to reach uh, a whole lot more people. And when Jeff was talking about the commercial kitchen, one of the ways that we see this happening is with a, a program similar to what we've done in, um, in Fort Atkinson called Feed Your Soul. And this would be, um, is definitely arrows out. I think there's also a way to look at this as being arrows in um, as we grow personally in participating in this kind of a program. Um, but Feed Your Soul would be a weekly community meal free to anybody who wanted to come and join us that would be served out of our soon-to-be uh, or soon-to-come commercial kitchen. And that gives us the opportunity to, um, to feed needy hearts with the truth of the gospel and to feed hungry bodies with great homemade meals. And... I haven't mentioned this in the other services, but I always think this is so interesting that the favorite casserole that we make is tater tot casserole. <laughs> Crazy. So this program has been going on in Fort Atkinson since 2008. It's brought about the gospel and the truth of God's word through 65,000 meals to, a town, to people in a town of 12,000. Can you even imagine how many people God can reach in Janesville and the surrounding areas with a local mission like this? So our church's mission is to bring people to faith and maturity in Jesus Christ through the power of the gospel. I th phase five is a big number. It is a big number. Jeff, do you remember last night you talked about if there were 500 people who gave, blah, blah, blah. Did you want yeah. to mention that? It, 500 or? people, you know gave it'd be um two hundred dollars a month okay fifty dollars a week yeah and in two years we'd be there which is a lot for a lot of people that's why we need some some would give smaller amounts some would give bigger amounts right so. it is but i think it helps to think of it in more kind of bite-sized pieces like what does that look like when we break that down so it is a big dollar figure but jesus never made uh, the promise that this was going to be easy did he he calls his true disciples to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. We are all put on this earth by God, our Father, to glorify and honor him and to share the good news of being rescued from our sins by Jesus' death and resurrection. And Lord willing, phase five will bring about changes in more people's lives with the good news of Christ at the same time, strengthening our own faith in Christ. We pray that you're as excited as we are about being local missionaries. Let's go. Let's go. God's on our side. Who can be against us? Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. All right, let's stand together and ushers come forward. If you did not get a packet, I mean... Jesse, okay. Um, just put your hand up and we'll get you one. 
And again, you don't have to participate to get a packet. We just want you to be aware of what we're doing. Your giving is between you and God. Nobody's going to harass you or call you or send you a letter going, why aren't you giving more? It's it's your business, okay? Uh, God loves a cheerful giver. If you can't give cheerfully, let it, don't worry about it, all right? Uh, And so this is what we want to do. We'll talk about it again in three months, maybe not as long, right? But we'll have something that brings it to your attention every three months for the next two years. The next Sunday is back to normal, right? A little bit longer worship, a little bit more announcements, longer message. But thank you for understanding that we want to try to get this message out to as many as we can online. We realize some of you watch this from other states. If we're your church, we welcome, we invite you to participate in, in what we're doing here in Rock County, Wisconsin. So thanks for listening. Let's close our service in prayer. And if you need prayer, please come forward so we can pray for you. Father in heaven, we just uh, realize every building campaign that we've had that the building doesn't just fall from the sky. Uh, it's, it's men and women who obey what they believe your voice is telling them to do. And, and many people have made sacrifices along the way that have got us into uh, this facility. And, our, and now we're looking at our fifth expansion. And we want to be a good steward of the resources you've given. We have room to grow. There is more we can do on this property. We're not being good stewards if we left, let that land just sit idle when we can be using it to touch lives and reach more people for the gospel. And so give us wisdom now as we make those decisions in faith, as we make those commitments to this project. Uh, and Lord, we commit this project into your hands. Thank you for the things you have taught us and challenged us with today from your word. Help us now to live them through the strength of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for tuning in to the Faith Community Church Podcast. We are glad that you joined us and hope that you were blessed by the message. If you would like to join us in the ministry of sharing the Word of God, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review. This helps us build the analytics of the channel, allowing us to better reach people in the name of Christ. Go be the light in your family, your community, and your church. God bless you.